Thank you, Pastor Claire. I feel young indeed. Yeah. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? If you are, let's just wave our palm leaves to one another, okay? Yeah, show me your palms too, because this is Palm Sunday. Yeah, all right. So good to see all of you here. You know, in this intergen service, we want families to come together to worship together. So whether you are on site or you are online with us, we hope that you will begin to pray uh, for families to really be connected, uh, a church family as one to worship God together. And so today's scripture text will be read by our next gen. I'm going to invite Chloe, Kira, Kate, Kate, and Megan to read for us. Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask for him? In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you who behave lawlessly. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's give them a big hand for reading scripture so wonderfully. Thank you, thank you. May we turn to your seats. Shall we also give a big hand to the worship team? You know, they comprise of uh, between youth and the PMP team coming together to serve us this day, you know, as an intergenerational team. You know, today is our very last sermon in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And today's sermon is about the way of the kingdom. And so the Sermon on the Mount is about the values of the kingdom of God. And today, if your children is here, you can ask them to refer to this booklet. There are activities inside. There are spaces for them to fill in the answers to some of the points that I will raise so that they can be engaged throughout this message. If you ask me, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is simply where God is your king. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is your king. 
God is your king. That's right. So we sang earlier, let the king of my heart. So if your heart recognizes that God is king, then that's where his kingdom is going to be. So if you recognize God as the king of your family, then the kingdom of God is right there in your family. If you recognize God as king in your workplace, the kingdom of God is right there at your workplace. So the Sermon of the Mount tells us how we are to have a relationship with God, our King. What are the values, what's important for this kingdom of God? And so at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus shows the way. And today's sermon, really only two points, okay? Very easy to remember. Two points, trust and obey. Turn to your neighbor and say, trust and obey. So very simple, trust and obey. You forget anything I've said. Parents, remind your kids, trust and obey. So how, firstly, do you show trust? Ah, you show trust when you ask, you seek, and you knock on the door. Sometimes people read this verse and they focus on the action of asking, seeking, and knocking. May I suggest to you that's not the point of this verse. The focus is not on the action The focus is on who you are directing the action to. The focus is actually on the identity of the Father. The Father in heaven, who you are asking, who you are seeking, whose door are you knocking on? The point is not what we want when we ask, seek and knock. The point is what He wants. The point is when you ask and seek and knock on the door, you are actually asking God, God, what do you want? What can I hear from you, my Abba, Father, my Father in heaven? And here's the reality. We can trust this Father in heaven. Amen? We can trust this Father in heaven. Because earlier on, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you say that prayer, then you are willing to ask, then you are willing to seek, you are willing to knock, so that you may know the Father's heart. You know, Jesus says, when you ask for bread, your earthly parent will not give you a stone. When you ask for fish, your earthly parent will not give you a snake. Instead, they will give you what's best. What more? See, that's the point. What more, our Father in heaven? So you can ask, you can seek, and you definitely must knock. And you don't do so only when you have a need. Sometimes we only ask God when we have a need, right? Or tomorrow exam, tomorrow test. Better ask God to help me. Tomorrow I've got an interview. Tomorrow I've got a project. God, please make it smooth for me. But the point of this verse is that if you know who your Father in heaven is, then your persistent and consistent posture is to ask, is to seek, is to knock, so that you may know the will of your Father in heaven. My friends, you can trust God because He's our good Father in heaven. Amen? And our Father in heaven knows not just the good things we need, in fact, His his good things is always the best. It's always the best for us. Can I hear amen to that? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, we will trust our Father in heaven. That's great. That's great. It's great. Did you hear that? There's some, there's some sound going from behind. Did you hear that? I think it's, I think it's coming from here. Wait, what's this? There's a door here. Oh, it opens. I'm going to go in and take a look. (laughs) 
Oh, where am I? Where am I? This looks like the golden gate of Jerusalem. And oh, you're holding palm leaves. Yeah, you're holding palm leaves. Wait, wait a minute. Where, where am I? Where am I? I look lost. Hey, maybe I'll ask this guy. Hello. And I say, oh, that's Korean, sorry. Shalom, shalom. What's happening? How come all these people here are, are holding palm leaves? What's happening? You mean you don't know what's happening? This is the most happening event in all of Jerusalem. Jesus, the rabbi, just came through. Jesus, yes, Jesus. Where is Jesus? Show me. No, well, just now he came through there, okay. and then he came right here, All right. and then he went straight to the temple. Ah, that's where Jesus would be. That's Jesus. I know, for right? You. Jesus is really such a marvelous guy. Yeah. I mean, he healed our sick. He fed thousands of us, and he even drove out demons. But you know, the best thing about Jesus for me has got to be his sermons. You know, they are really chef's kiss. Like the one on the mountain. The, the Sermon on the Mount! Mount. That's the one! <laughs> you mean you were there? Of course! I mean, I'm a legit follower, bro. What, like follow Jesus on Instagram? Instagram? Who is Instagram? I only know Abraham. Oh, Abraham is not bad. What I mean to say is that I listened to his teaching for days on the mountain and I tell you, it was truly an awesome message. Oh, so the sermon wasn't in like one sitting. The sermon was over several days. That's right. Oh, I see. You know, the sermon had a great start, you know. They were saying what, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers. But how, how was the ending? Was it better than some Korean dramas that we see, you know? What's Korean dramas? Oh, okay. It was super solid. I mean, I remember the last thing that he said that really stuck out for me is that those who listen to his words and obey them are like those who build their houses upon rock and not on sand. And you know, that really made a lot, a lot of sense to me. You know, I was thinking about that. Who would actually build their house on sand, right? I mean, everybody would choose to build on rock. Yeah, it's not that simple. See, building your house upon rock is really, really difficult because you have to dig down deep to get to the solid rock before you start building up from there. Whereas if you're just building on sand, you just have to make sure it's standing. Okay. You know, is there a difference in how the houses would look like? Well, not at all. If you take a look at this first century presentation, oh, I um, see. see, the house on the sand and the house on the rock is not very much different. I mean, it looks the same on the outside and nobody can really tell the hey, difference. By the way, these houses are really nice. Huh? Yeah. Are they up for sale, you know? Not at all. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, you know, but... I see they look quite nice. But what happens when the storms come? Ah, uh, see, when the big bad wolf huffs and hey, puffs... Hey, bro, wrong story. Oh, big bad wolf. That's right. Um, see, when the storms come, that's when you can tell the difference. Ah. The houses that are built on rock will stand, while those that are built on sand will be washed away and they'll collapse. And you've got to start again from ground zero. I see. Oh, okay. So let me ask you. Is your house built on sand or rock? Uh, anyway, I gotta make a move first. You have a good one, yeah? <laughs> hey, where are you going? Where are you going? I gotta go and rebuild the foundations of my house, lah. Uh, okay. Um, I really wonder where Jesus is. I really don't want to look for Jesus. But you know what? I think I need to get back to, to the PMP service. Hmm. Can, can you guys show me where to go? Where, where do I go? That way? Are you sure not this way? No, no, no. This this way? Okay, where? Where? This, this way? <laughs> She's like putting her head. This way. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try. 
Ah, there, there you are. There the door is here. Bye-bye. Okay, let's see. Discotheque for a while, yeah. Wow. Star blazing for a while, yeah. Now I understand the second part of this message. You know, trust and obey. And to obey isn't easy. But I guess oh, there are three points I want to share with the obedience today. Number one, we have to make effort. We gotta build deep. This is the first part I want to leave about obedience. The truth is that the sand during summertime in ancient Israel was actually very hard. So don't judge the ones who built their house on the sand. Because in the ancient times, when it was summertime, the sand was actually rock hard. But the wise builder would know that my house ain't built just for summertime. My house is built for all seasons. And so if you want a house to stand during summertime, you don't have to dig deep. The sand is hard enough. But the moment it hits to the winter, it hits to some other seasons, when the storms come, that house is not ain't going to stand unless you start digging deep and build your foundations. And sometimes, do you know that they have to build and dig as deep as three meters below the surface sand to the bedrock? That's where they will build their foundations on. And that's the only way you can build a super solid foundation. You know, I recall the time when I was serving in the National Service. Guys, you remember trench digging? Oh, trench digging is like one of the hardest things that we had to do as an NS man. Now, this is not a trench. This is what we call a shell scrape. Shell scrape is like a personal trench where you dig enough space so you can prone on it. When the enemy attacks, you can avoid the bullets. I recall during reservist time, they gave us white tape so we could mark out our shell scrape instead of actually digging the shell scrape. Right? Then we recognize that in a, in a real war, that white tape is not going to save you lah. You need to have dug the shell scrape so you can prone inside and the bullets come, you can at least hide from them. What's the point, my friends? It will cost you. Obedience will require hard work. And so you may ask me, you know, Pastor Ray, how do I build deep? You build deep through regular obedience. If you ask me, how do you build deep? It's through regular obedience because it takes effort to be regular. Because the more you obey, the more you are ready for your next obedience. Amen? It's like muscle memory. Those of us who are dancers, musicians, you're competent in a skill, you don't have to think very hard. The moment the court you're supposed to play, you'll play it. It's muscle memory. That's what happens in obedience. The more you obey, the more God strengthens you for your next trial, for your next temptation, you will obey. But it takes effort to continually dig deep and to obey. So that's the first point I want to leave with you. How deep are your foundations? How deep are your foundations? How deep is that regular obedience? Is your obedience just based on a women fancy? Or is your obedience a regular one that you put in effort? My God, my, my friends, do you know that God truly honors that? And He will grant you grace to for focus and regular obedience. Number two, the second point I want to leave with you is that we have to live right and show it with good fruit. Oh, turn to your neighbor and say, Good fruit! What's your favorite fruit? Mango, durian, thank you. Wow, my heart's delight. Durian, yeah. You know, there's a car that's driving along the road, right? And, and, the, and this car had a lot of bumper stickers behind. 
Stickers like, oh, Jesus is my airbag. Bro, do good in the name of Jesus. Jesus loves you. Hallelujah. Jesus is my anchor. So this car had all the bumper stickers behind. Then the traffic police came along, caught up with the car and asked the driver to pull over. And the driver came out and said, are you the owner of this car? Said, yes, sir. What's wrong? What did I do wrong? So the officer said, you know, you were honking impatiently at the old lady at the pedestrian crossing. Oh, you spat off and then cursed at the driver at the next car next to you. And then you, you know, you weave in and out of traffic as if you were the king of the road. So I thought with all these bumper stickers of you following and loving Jesus, I thought this car must have been stolen. <laughs> My friends, it's not the labels that make you a Christian. It's not the bumper stickers on you. PIC, ministry leader, whatever. Small group leader. No. It's your fruit. The world will know that you are obeying Christ through your fruit. That's why Jesus says, every good tree, remember, bears good fruit. Every bad tree will bear bad fruit. Question. What kind of fruit are you bearing today? Will people see you and say, well, like that also can, uh, Christian. Uh. Or will they say, yeah, there's something different about you. You know, it's not like you are perfect, but you have a faith in a reality larger than life. Something's different about you. The way you treat others, the way you're willing to be compassionate and kind, the way you're willing to be generous, the way you're willing to forgive, the way you're willing to be excellent. People will say, that's something different about you. My friends today, you've got to remain in Christ to bear fruit. And then you'll bear the fruit of obedience. Can I hear amen to that? Amen. Number three, with this our close, obedience is about following Christ by walking the narrow path and entering the narrow gate. And here I will do a demonstration with these chats. Imagine with me, this is the narrow path leading to the narrow gate. And so guess what? I would have to make my way and I think I have to just squeeze enough just to get through the narrow path to the narrow gate. What's the point? The point is that this gate is a personal gate that you need to walk. It's narrow gate because your obedience is personal and individual. You can't bring your entire family with you because God has no grandchildren. God only has children. And the truth is that each one of us, our children included, they have to make an individual decision to follow Jesus. But what we can do as parents, we can nurture, we can guide, we can help them understand the path they have to take. And then we surrender them to God because this is an intergenerational service. Every parent, every grandparent, we desire the generations to come after us to follow Jesus. But can I say that this gate is a narrow one because it's personal and it calls for your own individual obedience. The second reason why I think it's a narrow gate is this. Imagine I have a suitcase with me. I carry it. Wow, inside a lot of the treasures of my heart. And I realize, oh, oh, Tialat, cannot, cannot. I'm stuck. I also cannot. You know, we try to enter the narrow way and walk to the narrow gate, but we are stuck because in this suitcase is every treasure that we cling on to and refuse to let go. They have taken the place of God and we want to bring them into heaven with us. We can't. It's a narrow gate. It's a narrow path. You've got to let go. 
Our obedience is meant to be unencumbered. Hebrews 12, 1 says, you are to cast aside every sin as you run this race ahead of you. My friends, today, what's, what's hindering you? What suitcases are you trying to carry with you as you take that journey of faith? It's a serious question. If you ask hard enough, God will reveal the things that you need to cast off in order to walk that narrow path to reach the narrow gate. And finally, my friends, why the narrow gate? Because our obedience is about the inner heart and not the external deeds. Jesus says in verse 21 to 23, He says, Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. And what's more surprising is that Jesus says, Oh, you may have cast out demons, you may have prophesied in my name, and Jesus says, Yet you have acted lawlessly. So I always go to God and say, How can it be? How can it be that prophesying in your name, casting out demons? I mean, this is high-level ministry, you know. This is not like for individuals who are like simple Christian, you may think. This is high-level ministry, and yet not good enough. Lawlessness. Then I realize that what God is calling for is not sacrifice, but true obedience. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. And obedience is not about the external works that you do. It's about the inner posture of your heart. And only God knows. That's why it's a narrow path. Because you can be caught up in the wide path. You can choose and say, Lord, Lord, you can do all the externals. That's the wide path. You can do all these ministry things and think that they will get you into heaven. But you miss the point. When there is no clear and true obedience from your heart. The Lord only knows your heart. And only you know what's in your heart. You need to give to the Lord. True obedience starts right here, my friends. That's why it's a narrow path. It's a personal path. And that's why it's an invitation for all of us today to align and take that path that leads to life. Because when you get your heart to right, then you see beyond the gate and the narrow path to the life. I'm going to ask you, does anybody know where this is taken? This picture is taken from? Anyone? Anyone guess? Part of Singapore? Somebody's pointing that way? What's that way? Orchard Road? Huh? Fort Canning, that's right. Fort Canning, 50 meters from the better box. Go and Google later. Car park B, turn left. You will find it, but you must find it hard. Now, this is an interesting path in Fort Canning. Now, this narrow stairway, right, will lead to this little gate. Beyond this gate is like a damp tunnel. You walk through the tunnel, and beyond that, you will come to the reservoir. Do you know there's a reservoir in Fort Canning? It's kind of like barricaded, but there's a reservoir there. I understand in the days of uh, early days in Wesley, from the basement car park, there actually used to be a spring that popped, springs water from the basement car park. Guess the water came from? The water came from the reservoir. Wow. And since you already have kind of blockaded the, you know, the, you built the road across, the source has been cut off. But here's the point. Beyond the narrow path, beyond the gate is the life. My friends, don't focus on a narrow gate and the path because our, often we think, oh, it's about this. No, it's about the life that lies beyond that. That's what we need to cast our eyes on. It's the life because the narrow way leads to life. And you ask me, how then do I, how do I get to this life? Then I tell you, the cross is the narrow gate. Because the Word of God tells us in Luke 9.23 that we are to take up our cross daily and follow Christ. You know what crosses do to you? Crosses make you die. You die to yourself. You die to your sin. 
The Word of God tells us you gain resurrection life. The only way to life is through death. And when you die to yourself and die to your old self, that's where you accomplish and receive that resurrection life, that life where God is your King. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. There is a spiritual abundance in the fact that God is your King and the Kingdom of God is right here with you in your life. And so my friends, will you walk the narrow path? And will you be blessed with true life in God's kingdom? Amen? As we close this sermon series, what are the two words I started off with? Very good. Turn to your neighbor and say, trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. It's as simple as that. But I want you to know that as we gather as a church family, you know, as an intergenerational family, I know that Jesus is calling us to take the narrow path, to go the narrow way. So will you join me in prayer? Let's take a few moments to respond to God's word. Let's take a few moments where you are. We're going to begin by praying for our church family. You know, we are a community of generations. We are in our small groups, our ministries, our communities. Right now, we just pray for a revival of God's love. That as a church family, we will trust the Lord. We will obey His ways. We will take that narrow path. We will cast aside any luggage, any baggage. But we will choose to follow Jesus. Would you pray? Thank you, Lord. We pray for a revival. A revival in our church family. Your revival to come upon us. pray for a flourishing of spiritual friendships that we have, a flourishing of safe space, oh, where as a community of faith, we will help each other journey, we help each other take that narrow path to get to the narrow gate, we help each other fix our eyes on the life where God, you are our King, and let your kingdom be established right here in this church, and let us be your kingdom people who will bring your kingdom out wherever we go. Right now, I want, I want to ask parents, if you're here with your children, would you just place your hands over them? I'm going to invite you to bless them. Bless them and pray for each one of them that they may choose Jesus for themselves. That they may come to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They may have a faith that is anchored on the reality of God in their lives. That they will not just inherit our faith but they will find a true living hope in who Jesus is. Would you pray for them? Just pray for them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Right now, children, can you pray for your parents? Yeah, your turn now. If you feel comfortable, place your hands over your mom and your daddy. You can quietly pray for them. Pray for your daddy and mommy. Know that they love you so much. Know that they want the very best for you. Even though they may not be perfect. But they simply want to follow Jesus. They want to lead the family with God's love. So pray for them.
pray that they will always find their security in God's love first so that they may love the family and lead the family. Thank you, Lord. And finally, I want to pray for all married couples. Marriage is not for everyone, but there are many of us here who are married and may be married for many years, but today let's dedicate our marriages because at the core of the family discipleship is the strength of the marriage. So if you're here with your spouse, stretch forth and just hold hands for a moment. Just hold hands and commit your marriage to the Lord. Even if your spouse is not with you, you can pray. Pray that the Lord will revive your marriage with His love. That your marriage will be an example, a model for your children and for others to see Jesus and to follow Jesus each step of the way. So God, thank you. Thank you for receiving our prayers. You are our Abba, Father in heaven. And we can trust, we can obey. Because you are good. Today we can say, Lord, I've decided to follow you. Take up the cross and follow you. No turning back. Give me grace to follow you each step of the way. Would you hear our prayers, O God? For we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. God's people say, Amen, Amen.